Well, it would be great if you could have uh, the passage Luke 18 uh, there in front of you. I don't know if you've come across the name Jim Elliot. Uh, Jim uh, was a missionary who lived in the last century. He was an American. He became a Christian at a very young age, and then he went off to Wheaton College and studied. And whilst he was at college, he, he felt the burden to, to be a missionary, to take the good news of Christianity to people who hadn't yet heard it. And the place that Jim was called to was Ecuador in South America. South America. He and a few other missionaries wanted to reach a tribe of Oka Indians. They lived in a really remote uh, region. The tribe was known for violence and they, they had barely any contact uh, with the outside world. But Jim and his companions were really keen to make known to them the, the love of God. And they thought the best way for them to try and make connections with them was they would take their small aircraft down the riverbank. They would make contact with them by literally speaking through a megaphone in the plane and dropping gifts. Well, after several months, the tribe started to receive the gifts. And so Jim and his four friends decided that they would build a base a short distance from where the tribe had their camp. And if you know the story, you know what happened on January the 8th, 1956. When Jim and his friends landed and sought to make contact with these Oka Indians, they killed him and his four friends. You might think, what a tragedy. Jim's wife, Elizabeth Elliot would go on and serve as a missionary to the very people who killed her husband. And they would come to know the amazing love of God and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. After his death, Elizabeth found this line written in his diary. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. As we study this passage before us of the rich young ruler, I think we're going to see that truth lived out. So my plan for us today, this morning and this evening, is to do a two-part mini-series. This morning we'll look at Jesus' encounter with the rich young ruler. This evening we'll look at Jesus' encounter with blind Bartimaeus. And my reason for looking at these two passages is because I want to persuade you that Jesus is more glorious than you've ever realized. And Jesus offers you something in the gospel far greater than you've ever dreamed or imagined. So let's look at Luke chapter 18. If there was a key verse, it would be verse 27. And verse 27 says this, what is impossible with men is possible with God. I want to use that verse to to really uh, help us with headings. My first heading is salvation is impossible with man. Verses 18 through 23. And then my second point will be salvation is possible with God. Verses 24 through 30. So let's look at salvation, impossible with man. 
I'm sure we've all met certain individuals in our lives at some point who we would say appear to have it all. You know, the sort of person who, who just gives off that impression. They have it all and they have it all together. I don't know who immediately comes to your mind. But you know the sort of individual I'm thinking of? You know, the, the person, they've got the most amazing family, a beautiful spouse, they're blessed with uh, brilliant children, well-behaved, well-mannered. Not only that, they, they themselves possess that perfect personality. They're charming, they're witty, they're wise, unbelievably generous, incredibly hospitable. In their working lives, they're extremely successful. They've accomplished a great deal. As a result, they're wealthy. They have more money than they know what to do with. They have all the material possessions one could dream of. They live in a massive mansion. They own multiple properties throughout the world. What sort of, what sort of person comes to your mind? Well, as we come to study the rich young ruler, he's the sort of person that comes to my, my mind. He's this sort of individual if you look down at verse 23, you'll see that he's described there as extremely rich. He was the sort of guy you would find in the Jerusalem Times rich list. He had a lot of money. According to verse 21, he, he claimed that he'd kept all the commandments. Meaning, he was your quintessential good guy. He was a moral man. If you look at verse 18, you'll see that he's described there as a ruler. That is, he's a man of position and power. Meaning he had people who were under him, people who no doubt looked up to him, admired him a great deal, willing to do whatever he asked them to do. Look, it admits this detail, but the two other gospel records, Matthew and Mark, which record this story, tell us that one other detail about him. He was young. In other words, he had it all. Rich, a ruler, and he had youth on his side. Sometimes we look at people and we think, they've got it all, they've got it all together. But you know, looks can be deceiving. This young man didn't have it all. Look down at verse 18 with me. I really asked Jesus, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Do you see it? The question he poses Jesus reveals to us that this man who seemingly had it all knew within himself he didn't have it all. Deep down in his soul, he knew that there was something missing in his life. What was missing? Eternal life. Yes, he had the money, the manners, the morals, the power, the position, the personality, the seemingly perfect life, but he had this niggling, gnawing feeling that there's something more to life than just those things. Question. Have you ever had that niggling, gnawing feeling that there's something more to life than money, than morals, than possessions and position? This, this man who seemingly had it all he clearly believed that there was life after death. The Bible says that God has a eternity in all of our hearts. And so this man found himself agreeing with that conviction. But he wanted to be sure that his was eternal life. 
I wonder, have you given eternal things much thought? You know, it's so easy to go through life, right, and not think about eternal realities. Well, this rich young ruler had given it some thought, and here was his question for Jesus. Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? If you're a Christian here this morning and one of your friends came up to you and asked you this question, you would be beaming. This is this question provides Jesus with this open goal opportunity to tell him the good news of Christianity. The young man could not have teed Jesus up better. And, and, and as I was studying this, anticipating where this might go, Jesus just needs to say to this man, you do not need to do anything You just have to believe in me and you will have eternal life. Is that not what the Bible says? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever should believe in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Where you would think Jesus would go, but that's not where Jesus goes. In fact, we have our first surprising twist. Jesus responds to this rich young ruler's question with a question of his own. It's not that line that I would think that Jesus would go after. Look, he says to them, verse 19, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Instead of answering this rich young ruler's main concern, his main question, Jesus seems to be sidetracked with the way this man addressed them. Why do you call me good? And and perhaps we're left scratching our heads for just a moment. Why has Jesus not taken this opportunity to do a home run with presenting the gospel? Jesus, of course, he knows the question behind the question. He knows the assumptions that lie within this man's mind and heart. Jesus wanted this rich young ruler to think seriously, not just about the most important question he could ever ask in life, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He wanted this man to think seriously about the most important person he'd ever encountered in his life, namely Jesus himself. I wonder, have you given thought eternal realities? Have you ever encountered Jesus? Look at what Jesus says, Almighty call me good. No one is good except God alone. Now, some people hear that verse and they mistakenly hear it wrong. So they think that Jesus here is denying his divinity. Why do you call me good? And it's like he's putting distance and he says, no one is good except God alone, meaning he's not God. But that would be to misread this verse entirely. Jesus is actually saying the exact opposite. Jesus is wanting this man to think seriously about what he has just said. He's just said to Jesus, you're good. Now, we might not know this, but in Jewish culture, nowhere can you find any person calling a rabbi good rabbi, good teacher. Because they would reserve the adjective good exclusively for God. But remember, this is a rich young ruler. He's polite. He's respectful. This is just flattery. He's just buttering Jesus up. He wants to know the answer to this question. Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? But you know what? This reveals that Jesus understood. This man's problem, his first problem, is that he had too low a view of Jesus. He didn't understand who he was talking to. 
He actually said in his address to Jesus more than he realized. He was right. Jesus is the good teacher because Jesus is indeed God. That's not his only problem. He doesn't understand who Jesus is. This rich young ruler, he doesn't understand who he is. Look at Jesus' statement following his question. Why do you call me good? Then he says these words. No one is good. Now just pause there. This rich young ruler, if you'd said to him, what sort of guy are you? I'm a good guy. I'm kind, generous, give to charity, do good works, seek to bless my family, my friends, my colleagues, my employees. And yet Jesus says this sort of jaw-dropping truth. He says, no one is good. And it's clearly directed to this rich young ruler because Jesus understands what's going on in his mind and heart. Jesus is laying this foundation for their conversation. You see, if you're ever going to be able to hear the good news of Christianity, you need to first of all hear the bad news and the rather shocking news that the Bible says no one is right. No one is good. All of us fall short of God's glory. If this man was ever to come to the place where he would appreciate God's amazing love, God's unmerited, unearned mercy, he had to come to understand, first of all, that he'd fallen short of God's standards. He was a sinner. And as a sinner, he was deserving judgment. And the penalty of sin is death, eternal death. So so let me say this. Jesus wanted this young man to understand two things. Number one, Jesus is himself the good God. Number two, this rich young ruler is not good. He wanted him to understand that about himself. Can I ask you two questions? What do you think about Jesus? So, I meet many people in... I remember once asking a guy, what do you think about Jesus? And his response is, his response was the same as this man. I think Jesus, if he existed, but according to the Bible, was a good teacher. And that's as far as he was willing to go. Jesus, that's what he is. And he, he said some great things. Clearly his teachings impacted and impacted many people down through the history of the ages. He was a good teacher. But the problem with that is that if you take all that Jesus has said and taught, he doesn't leave you with that option. You see, Jesus claimed not merely to be, if you like, a good teacher, but he claimed to be the good God. The one who has the authority to forgive sins, cast out demons, raise the dead, bestow eternal life. And if Jesus is not who he said he was, then he's a liar. And all these things that he said about himself would make him a lunatic. The only option we've got is he is who he said he is. Second question I want to ask you is, what do you believe about yourself? 
there are many people, myself included, if you, if you ask me one day what sort of guy you are, I, I, I would probably want to say, I'm a good guy. Like, I know I'm not great. I know I'm not perfect. But I'm a good guy. Right? And many of us think like that. You know, we're, we're good people. But the problem is it's good relative to who? Good relative to what? What is your standard of goodness? Other people? Okay, so that's easy to say then you're good. Because there are many people you can point to and say, they are clearly not good. And there's some other people you can think, they're better than me, so I'm not great, I'm not perfect. What do you think of yourself? The Bible's honest description of us is that when we measure ourselves up to God's standard of goodness, you and I are not good. And if we're going to understand the good news of the gospel, that's what we need to understand, the bad news, there's no one good. But listen, we're about to hear the good news. There is a good God who gives people who are not good the greatest thing, the thing they don't deserve, not eternal life. So this rich young ruler, his problem is this. He's a too low a view of Jesus, too high a view of himself, and a shallow understanding of goodness. Just, just look at what Jesus says next, right? He gives him another opportunity to just deal with his shallow understanding of his goodness. Deal with his too high a view of himself. Look at what Jesus says, verse 20 and 21. Jesus says to the ruler, you know the commandments. And, and I reckon Jesus' tone there is like, you know, he's, he's asking a question. You know the commandments. And, and no doubt this young, rich ruler is grinning because he was faithful student at Sabbath school in the local synagogue. He was taught commandments at home. He memorized them. He knew them off by heart. Here Jesus says, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness. Honor your mother and father. And just so you know, there are two, we call it, there's two table commandments, two sections of the commandments. There's one section that deals with loving God, and then there's another section that deals with loving others. Jesus quotes from the section that's all about loving others to this young man. And look at this young man's response now. If Jesus' initial question to this man was surprising twist and this young man's response is another surprising twist in this conversation you know the commandments do not do these things young man responds and says i have kept all of these from my youth (laughs) wow like what a claim The irony here is he knows the commandments, but clearly he's shown Jesus that he does not understand himself. He doesn't understand that all of us break God's commandments. Now, Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, taught, you know the commandments, do not commit adultery. And Jesus would say, if you look at a person with lust in your heart, it's not just the sinful action of adultery, it's the sinful motive then you've committed it in your heart. If you harbor thoughts of hatred, indifference, strong dislike to others, Jesus says you've good as murdered people in your heart. And this young man is so self-deceived that when he, he, he thinks about keeping the commandments, it's just all outward. I've not done the sinful actions. I've not cheated on my wife. I've definitely not murdered someone. 
The truth is, he claims to have kept all of them. But the reality is he's fallen so far short of them. You know, this, this conversation got off to a really good start. Someone who we thought had it all, recognized he didn't have it all, comes to Jesus, asks him a question, addresses him well, good teacher, probably says more than he realizes. But now it's becoming clear. This young man didn't want to learn anything from Jesus. He just wanted to prove to Jesus he measured up. That by his goodness, by his moral living, he could earn his salvation. Jesus has given this young man opportunity after opportunity to be honest with Jesus and with himself. You know, if you're going to think about the things of eternity, you've always got to remember that you need to be honest with yourself and honest with God. Now, as we study this, the scene, there's, there's one little detail that's not said in Luke's gospel that's really key, and I, I just need to highlight it to you. At this point in the narrative, in Mark's gospel, we read these words. After this young man says, all of these are kept from my youth, we read these words. Jesus looked at this rich young ruler, and it says, and he loved him. So you need to understand that as Jesus is speaking with this rich young ruler, his heart is full of love for him. His motives in speaking to him is that he wants this young man to come to the place where he will receive eternal life. You know when you love someone, there's an old saying that the person who loves you the most is willing to tell you the most truth about yourself. If someone loves you, they'll be honest with you. So what Jesus says next is, is, is one of the most honest commands and challenges he could ever give to anyone. He said this because he loved this young man and he wanted this young man to see how he could receive eternal life. Look at what Jesus says in verse 22. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, one thing you still lack. And I bet you at this moment, the rich young ruler was like, finally, he's going to tell me what I need to do. He's going to tell me, just do this and then I'll have eternal life. His ears pricked up, hope must have awakened in his heart. There's one thing you lack. This is what you need to do. And now Jesus goes for the jugger. You, in essence, Jesus says this. You need to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And you need to love your neighbor as yourself. He said, here's the first commandment. Here's the greatest commandment. Now, he personalizes it. Look at how he personalizes it. He says to him, sell all that you have, distribute to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven and come for me. When he says, sell all that you have, you know, get rid of your wealth, that's because Jesus has diagnosed his problem. This rich young ruler has broken the first commandment, which says, you'll have no other gods before me. His money, his wealth is what he holds before God. So Jesus says, prove that you love God more than money. Give it away. Oh, by the way, you said that you kept all the commandments regarding loving your neighbor. 
give your money to the poor. You know, Jesus was once asked, who is my neighbor? And, and it's a person in need. And so he says, okay, let, let's just, let's be really honest. If you want, if you claim to love your neighbor, then help them. And if you want eternal life, this is what you need to do. You need to follow the good God. Jesus says, you need to follow me. you see how Jesus has masterfully like a surgeon with a scalpel exposed the raw nerve ending of this man's soul this young rich ruler he claimed to have kept all the commandments but now as we see in his response he knew that he failed because he leaves sad because he's extremely wealthy. Because he knew that the God that gripped his heart was not the good God, the God of his money. Let me just pre- press pause there and ask you, is there a God that grips your heart? Now, it may not be money. It may be a person. It might be your job, your career. It might be your family, your children. Is there something, right, that if Jesus asked you to give it up for him? Is there something you think, no, 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 hands off, Jesus. Jesus exposes this man to the fact that he he fails to keep the law. And his right response at this point should have been to say, Jesus, I admit it. Okay, I'm a sinner. And I need a savior. And Jesus would say, believe in me. And you'll have eternal life. Follow me. And you will receive the gift of the good God. A perfect record. Jesus lived the life we could not live. He kept the law perfectly. Jesus gives that to all who trust in him. Jesus would say, believe in me. Not trust in your own good works and your own law-keeping, Jesus says, trusting my finished work. On the cross, I died to take the penalty and the punishment that your sins deserve so that you could be forgiven and know life eternal. The good news of the gospel is this. Jesus said this to this young man so that he might have eternal life, but the final twist of this story is this young man leaves Jesus sad because he's extremely wealthy. Now, just hear this. Jesus loved this rich young ruler. But this rich young ruler walked away. Not just a sad man, but a lost man to a lost eternity. Salvation is impossible with man. Salvation is possible if you think that you can trust in your own goodness and that's what's going to get you eternal life. Salvation is impossible if you think that you can hold your greatest treasure and it not be God and so you will not receive eternal life. Now, 
If this rich young ruler, and I'm going to wrap this up shortly, we come now to salvation is possible with God. If this rich young ruler is the exhibit of what it is not to receive eternal life, then don't miss that the next section gives us an insight into who can receive eternal life. See, the disciples have been standing on and they've been listening to this conversation that Jesus had with the rich young ruler and um, Jesus said to them, it's so hard for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. And he uses this brilliant illustration. He said it's like having a, a needle, right, an eye of a needle and trying to fit a camel through it. I can barely get a thread through the eye of a needle, never mind a camel. His point is it's so difficult that people who've got it all, who think they've got it all, who, who are good people, who think that their moral performance is acceptable and good to God, to let go and admit that they actually don't have it all and they need Jesus. And so his disciples are listening on and they're scratching their head and they're like, well, if this guy isn't saved, then who can be saved? Jesus. And that's when Jesus gives this brilliant punchline. What is impossible with man is possible with God. And if you, if you miss it, it's really sad, but don't miss this. It was possible because Jesus' followers themselves had believed in him. Now you might say, but hold up, they were fishermen. They didn't have much money. They didn't have great treasures like this rich guy. But they came to the cost. They left their fishing nets. They left their families, their homes to follow after Jesus, the good God. In fact, you can tell that that's what's been in Peter's mind because Peter pipes up to Jesus in open mouth amazement and he says, Jesus, just so you know, we left all to follow you. You know, Jesus has been having this really deep, intense conversation with this rich young ruler and Peter's thinking, I just want you to know, Jesus, that we have put you first. (laughs) Like, Jesus, we left everything. Now, if God's grace is amazing in this, that if the way to become a Christian is you come with nothing, Jesus gives you everything by his perfect life, death, and resurrection, then just hear this one. I guarantee you the gospel, what is offered to you in the gospel is more greater, is more glorious than you've ever realized. Look at Jesus' response, verse 29. Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God, who will not receive many times more in this time and in the age eternal life. The good God, Jesus, says, listen, the the, the goodness and the glory of the gospel is I give you salvation, I forgive your sins, I give you the thing that money can't buy, eternal life, your good works, your moral performance could never earn, you don't deserve it, I give it to you freely. And if you give up anything, For me, to follow after me. You need to know this. There is no such thing as sacrifice and loss. In a sense for the Christian. Because Jesus says, I will give you many times more. The glory of the good God is that in the gospel he offers us himself and he promises to give us more than we could ever imagine. That's the glory of grace. Undeserved, unmerited, unearned love given freely, fully. So so as I wrap this up, one question. 
Where's your trust? This story teaches us, do not trust in your own goodness, your own moral performance. It's a way to leave sad and lost. What is your treasure? If your treasure is your money, your career, your spouse, a relationship. Loved, sad, lost. Here's where your trust should be. Jesus, the good God, whose performance on your behalf earned you salvation. Here's what your treasure should be. Him, the good God who died on the cross so that you could have a relationship with him. Here is the quote again. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. That's the gospel. That's glorious. Believe in him and receive eternal life. Let's pray. Our glorious Father, we thank you that as we study your word, you speak to us both personally and corporately. And as you're speaking to us, we do pray that you would turn up the volume of the Holy Spirit so that we can hear you speaking personally into our own lives. Whether we're here and we're not yet a Christian, that we would hear that there is nothing we could ever do to gain our salvation. It's all that has been done by your son, the Lord Jesus. And so we pray that you would open up the eyes of the hearts of those who don't yet see and open up their ears to hear the glorious call of the gospel. Our glorious Father, we thank you for those of us who know you and love you. And uh, we have come to the understanding that we fall so far short of your glory that we are not good. But we thank you that in your mercy you have shown us that your son is the good God who came to Give us the greatest gift imaginable and us of grace. And so may we, your people, who know you and love you and who seek to follow you, may we be able to sing that our worth is not in what our own, but in Jesus Christ. Because of his love given to us at the cross. We pray this in his precious and powerful name. Amen.